Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our longtime friend and member, Scotty Miser. So the muteness of Zachariah, I'll admit, might not be the first thing you think of when you're thinking of the season of Christmas, when you're thinking of a Christmas story. Uh, Kyle, could you bring up my opening slide there? I enjoy this story partly because it's comical. Sir, I'm at work, Zachariah essentially says to Gabriel, and this is a story of irony. This is a story where a man of God doubts a messenger of God. This is a story where God's mouthpiece is put on mute so that he can stop getting in the way of God's work. And as we enter this passage today, again, I I do want to give Zechariah a fair trial. So I want us to review this encounter together again. And I want you to pay attention to something. I want us to see if Gabriel is asking too much of Zechariah. So pay attention to the tasks Zechariah has been given. What does Zechariah actually have to do? You follow? Okay, so let's look at the commands that the angel gives our boy Zach. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear reasonable response. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is Gabriel's message to Zechariah. So what does Zechariah have to do? What did we catch? Call him John. Call, him, call the baby John. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's literally it. Let's review Zechariah's to-do list. Next slide here. Uh, keep going, Kyle. Yes. Don't be afraid. Name him John. End of list. That's it. He's not contributing more to the birth of this child than really any man ever has in the biological sense. That is to say, almost nothing. He has to do almost nothing. But Zachariah's first question when handed this to-do list, fear not and name the baby John, his first question is one of doubt. What does Zechariah say? Next slide here, Kyle. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I want us to put ourselves in Gabriel's shoes for just a second here, because it's hard not to read some frustration in Gabriel's response. Gabriel's response is, 
Let's try this again, Zachariah. I am Gabriel. This is my 9 a.m. Do you know where I was one hour ago? I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Exit Gabriel. And for the next nine months, Zachariah can say nothing. If we take nothing else from this interaction, I want us to take this. Worship the plan and you'll miss the point. Worship the plan and you'll miss the point. Zachariah was doing nothing wrong. Zechariah was doing his job, and it was a good and holy job. It was the time to burn incense, so he was burning incense. The lot had chosen him, so he was the one going in. But he was so focused, I think, on the plan, on what was supposed to happen that day, that he forgot, wait a minute, who is all this for? This is for God. And, and who am I? I'm Zachariah, a man, not just a priest, but a man who has been praying for a son. We don't see Zachariah ever admit this, but what does the angel say? He says, your prayers have been heard, Zachariah. Your prayers have been heard. But Zechariah is caught up in the plan. He worships the plan and he misses the point. I think this happens all the time in our daily lives. It definitely happens in teaching. Uh, very seldom are we directly asked a question that reminds us of the point of teaching. Most often we're asked about the plan. Is this graded? When is this due? What do we have to do? But every now and then, we get a glimpse. I was trying to help uh, one of my students, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, and we were looking at the Robert Frost poem, The Road Less Traveled, The Road Not Taken, forgive me. And so I was explaining why, you know, some of the words, some of the, some of the sentences are phrased a bit backwards, Poems are not how we naturally speak. And this kid just asked me, why do poets do this? Why don't they just say what they mean? And if I'd been caught up in the plan, I would have said, it doesn't matter, you just have to finish this assignment and I'll give you a grade. Because you blink and you miss it. These holy moments of the purpose behind the plan. You blink and you miss it. And if she had caught me on another day, I might not have been ready. But praise God, I was able to rant about poetry for a little bit. And maybe some of it sunk in. 
maybe some of what I was able to say of, you, you know, you just in art class last period were drawing, but you weren't drawing realistically. You were changing some things and obscuring others to bring out certain aspects. That's what poets do, but with words. Blink, blink. It's okay if you don't like it. That's okay. <laughs> but we worship the plan and we miss the point. And how often are we guilty of this, guys? How often are we guilty of getting so busy scheduling getting together that we forget why we get together? How often do we worship the plan or worse, the downsides of the plan? or the reasons something good could never happen, as Zachariah does. How often, how easy is it to bow to the altar of cynicism because it's safer than hope? And we insist, we insist the whole time that we're not pessimists, we're not defeatists, we're just realistic. The good news of Christmas is this. We will miss the Christmas story if we restrict ourselves to what is possible. Amen? We, I, friends, hear me on this. You will miss the Christmas story if you restrict yourself just to what is possible. Now, importantly, Zachariah's cynicism does not stop the plan from happening. It doesn't. And I think this is important. If you've ever worried that your lack of belief, that your lack of focus or hope will stop God from working, this story says otherwise. This story says God's going to work regardless. You're not going to stop God's current of love because you can't. But you might miss out on the joy. If you close yourself up, if you worship the plan, if you only believe in what is possible, you might miss out on the joy. You might, as Zachariah does, just have to shut up for a while and watch it happen. I've been a little hard on Zachariah here, but really, how can we expect to do any better? I mean, Zechariah is a priest. He's a man of God. This is his job. Surely no one else could have responded to news like this better than someone whose job it was to worship the Lord. Right? No. Because I think we can't tell the story of Zechariah without scrolling down the page and seeing that right after it is the story of Mary. This is what happens just a few months later in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That is to say, the sixth month of Zachariah's silence, if you want to think of it that way. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary, like Zachariah, was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, now let's pay attention to the to-do list again. Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What's Mary's to-do list? Anyone? What does she have to do? Hmm? Be, yep, fear not. Same as Zechariah. Have a baby. Let's look at that next list here. Importantly, fear not, conceive a child out of wedlock. Carry the child to term. Give birth to said child. Call him Jesus. Much more is being asked of Mary. And the angel has not shown up in a house of worship. The angel has shown up in Mary's house. A while ago, I was looking at this passage with, um, with the Sunday school kids. And this was years ago. And I asked them, as part of our project, to draw an angel, but to draw the angel in your bedroom. Draw things that would be in your regular living space. So the kids drew toys. The kids drew dirty laundry. Uh, this was a number of years ago, and you might not like me telling you this, but Augie wanted to draw poop. Uh, I don't know if Rosie had recently had an accident or something, but he insisted that this was an accurate depiction. And I told him no. <laughs> I said, no, you can't draw poop, but maybe I was wrong. Like, maybe I was wrong. The angel shows up in the mess. The angel shows up unannounced, not at the designated time or space for worship. The angel just shows up where Mary is and makes this extreme ask of Mary. So let's look at her response. She has a similar question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. If you're paying attention, the to-do list just got harder, not easier. Next slide, Kyle. Conceive not just a child, but the Son of God out of wedlock. Carry the Son of God to term. Give birth to the Son of God and call him Jesus.
how will Mary respond? Next slide. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Go to the next slide, God. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This is chapter one of the Gospel of Luke. But it's not the last time that something like this will happen. Luke's Gospel, over and over and over again, turns systems of power on their head. The religious leader, the man, the one in power, the guy who should get it, misses it. And the woman about whom we really know nothing, immediately, readily, responds to God's message, to God's call. And in Zechariah's silence, Mary is given this beautiful song, this speech, which is called the Magnificat. Sometime later, she comes to visit Elizabeth. She comes to see, you know, is this true? What's going on over here? And Mary delivers this, just in case Luke, the writer, is ensuring, just in case we've missed the point of these two back-to-back -back narratives. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. And he has remembered his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Is this the news we're used to hearing around Christmas? If not, maybe it should be. It's not just a hope, a vague hope of weariness or a vague hope that maybe something someday will get better. It's a calling out of injustice. It's a call to not always focus on the places where we would expect to see God's message received. Because very often, those of us caught in the system, those of us caught in the plan, worship the plan and will miss the point. But what does the Magnificat say? 
Go to that next slide, Kyle. Look in the margins and you will find miracles. Friends, I promise you this. Look in the margins and you will find miracles. Amen? This story, this Magnificat, sets the pattern for the Gospel of Luke. It sets the pattern for the life of Christ. It sets the pattern for a Jesus who goes to the ritually unclean, a Jesus who speaks to those outside of ethnic Israel, outside of the gender structures of power, is where Jesus goes. And it sets this pattern, this first domino that has to fall of Gabriel coming to Zechariah starts this chain and it sets off this explosion. And the word for today is this, friends, that the good news of Christmas is that a bastard refugee is born the king of angels. Amen? He is born the king of angels. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. The mighty will be brought down, the humble lifted up, and the hungry filled. And in keeping with the backwards pattern, how are the powers overthrown? That next slide, Kyle. Of course, it's not how we expect. The powers are overthrown <coughs> through the humble making themselves more humble, throwing themselves onto the machine, saying you cannot kill my spirit. You cannot stop the current of God's love. Not you, Rome. Not you, Zechariah. Not any of us. We're invited through this story to look in the margins. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.